Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Good morning, church. Good morning to those of you joining us on live stream. We're glad that you are with us as well, as many people are traveling on this 4th of July weekend. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at Sam Alliance, and I am glad that you are here today. A lot of things have been going on around here at Sam Alliance, a lot of things to celebrate. One of those things is we have two roses here on the platform. Roses here at Sam Alliance signify new life in Christ. And this past week, a young man named Crash nailed a ribbon into the cross, as well as a patient from Salem free clinics. Would you celebrate that with me? Also, early mornings here this past week, there was a lot of energy in the building as we had 150 students that were getting ready to go to Canyon View that were launching from here every single morning. They came back at four with a little less energy, thank goodness, but it was just an incredible weekend. Uh, Kari, our pastor, did a great job organizing this. We had a superstar group of junior counselors that headed out there, and the stories are still being shared of what God did in the lives of these students. Also, you remember a few weeks ago, we commissioned uh, a group of middle schoolers to go to Seattle. We have a picture we'll throw up here. The students, they all made it there, 26 students, five adult leaders. They did massive amounts of just uh, service projects there. They were working with the group Street Youth Ministries as well as Vision House. They were just being the peace of Jesus throughout that city, working with different populations of people. And they returned, uh, just already heard some of the stories from our pastor of middle school ministries, Katie, just uh, fired up, excited about some of the friendships that were cemented on this trip and just the heart of God to bless people. And so we're excited about that. And tomorrow morning, bright and early, some of you high schoolers are in the room and some leaders are going with you, but we got 55 high school students as well as leaders attending Life Conference. Life 2022 will be in Orlando this year. They'll join 6,000 other high school students from around the country for a week together there, just worshiping together, learning about who God is. Uh, Spirit will be invited there. Last time we did this, seven of our students decided to get baptized uh, 16 of our students, I believe, committed to just pursue a potential full-time vocational career in ministry. It's an incredible time. Would you this week keep in prayer our high school pastor, Brandon Miller, as well as one of our pastors, Ashley Dalen. Ashley Dalen actually left this morning. She's emceeing the whole thing. So like, it's a big, big deal. And so would you just pray for them as they carry this out? Lots going on around here, and it's good. It's really good. August 7th, 1999, almost 23 years ago, I had the opportunity to get married to my beautiful wife, Jess. We're almost to 23 years, which means we're almost to 25 years. And over the past couple of years, we've talked about what it would look like to renew our vows. Actually, renewal of vows is kind of trending right now. I don't know if you know this. That kind of actually makes me not want to do it, but that's just a different story. But anyway, I was reading some stuff, and it's funny because I read this article, and this one uh, just wedding facilitator said that 30% of the calls she receives at this point and 30% of her work are for couples that are renewing their vows. Like a lot of people are doing this, and there's multiple pe- reasons that, that people do this. I mean, one is it's just an excuse to throw an extravagant party. And do we need any other reason to renew vows? 
a lot of times when you get married and, and then later on in life, you have a different group of friends. And so there's just this beauty of being able to celebrate your love together with your current group of friends. Some people do it because they want their kids to witness it. And that's a great reason. Some people didn't have the money when they were young. That was definitely our case. We had a very, very frugal budget that we, we put together to get married at a young age. And so to be able to do it kind of the way you want another time around. For others, it's to celebrate a major milestone, a major, major anniversary. And for some, it's just truly a renewal. It's a recommitment after a rough patch, after a season of conflict or even unfaithfulness or adultery. And a lot of people do it for that reason, and it's powerful. As a pastor, a few things are more difficult to watch than a married couple walk through the attempt to salvage a marriage after infidelity. Betrayal and revelation of layers of deceit, broken trust. The grief can seem unbearable. Often the damage of the infidelity is too much, and Jesus' allowance for divorce appears unavoidable. And this is true for some of you in the room. And even this topic brings up a level of hurt and grief. And I just bless you and pray that you can even stick with us today. But there's others in the room that have experienced this, and they've walked through the messiness, and there's been repentance and grace extended and redemption and recommitment and Though there's still pain, there's still some joy that's being experienced in this. And as a pastor, seeing these relationships have, have experienced healing and restoration is one of the more beautiful things that I get to witness. We're in the book of Hosea, and this book is all about a broken relationship, a broken relationship between God and his people. And it's about the attempts to renew and to restore what rebellion and unfaithfulness tore apart. This week, we are in our final week of the book of Hosea. I hope you've enjoyed this four-week series. This week, we'll be looking at chapter 14, the final chapter. And what we have here, I believe, in a way, are the renewal of vows between a God, taking back his unfaithful but repentant bride. And it's pretty powerful. I'll be reading from Hosea 14, verses 4 to 8. You can turn there in your Bible, on your app, or I'll be putting it on the screen here, and you can just join me in that. Hosea 14, verses 4 to 8. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O oh, Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. Your fruit comes from me. This is the word of the Lord. God, in his relentless pursuit of his people, is ready to renew vows with his unfaithful but repentant bride. He is ready to renew vows with you and me. Throughout scripture, in both the Old Testament and the New, the church, us, the people of God, are often referred to as the bride of Christ. We see this throughout the Old, uh, Old Testament. We, beautiful yet blemished, the bride of Christ. We see it in Isaiah 54. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. 
We see it played out throughout the New Testament, the parable of the ten virgins, or in Ephesians 5, this incredible chapter where we are given just instructions and what marriage looks like between a man and a woman, and yet it's also compared. And in that, it says, this is a great mystery, but an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Unfortunately, throughout the entire arc of Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New, we also see another pattern that is consistent, and that is the consistency of God's people being unfaithful, rebelling, tearing apart what God had put together, putting other loves ahead of what should be our first. But the beauty of the book of Hosea is that we understand that though those sins, though that rebellion leads to a broken relationship, it did with Gomer, it did with Israel, it does with us, it's not the end of the story. And today we get to go in depth and look at these beautiful renewal vows, but before we do it, we have to remember something. There's two trips to the altar that have to take place. There's two trips, and the first trip to the altar is a one where we come for repentance. Our being welcomed to the altar for that second renewal of vows is contingent upon coming to the altar in repentance first. You see, as we've looked at Hosea, we've seen the power and the effects of sin, the rebellion and the broken relationship. In week one, Brian talked us through Hosea having to be with his unfaithful wife, Gomer. And we saw just the emotion and the effects of that. In week two, I was able to look at Israel and the way that they were seeking idols and false security from alliances with other nations. And we saw how that grieved God and broke relationship. It led to Hosea 1.9, where there was a prophetic calling of a child. And that name was a label on the people. And, and, and it meant, you are not my people and I am not your God. There was a separation. And yet, though the covenant was broken, throughout the book of Hosea, we catch a glimpse of God trying to figure out what he is going to do. Will he end the covenant for good? And yet, we see here in chapter 14 that God does not file for divorce, but rather keeps pursuing again and again. Jennifer summarized that so well last week with this statement. God gives an off-ramp to the cycle of rebellion and unfaithfulness, and that off-ramp is repentance. She led us there well last week. And church, I know many of you went to the altar last week in repentance. You filled out the paper that you were given. And because of that, this week, we get to return to the altar again. But this week, we return to the altar for renewal. This week, we return to the altar for the celebration. This week, we return to the altar to receive the words of blessing from the one that we are betrothed to. This week, we return to the altar because he is taking us back again. And so, church family, to a repentant people, us, the church, hear the vows of renewal. Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. Hear the words of your God. I will heal you. I will love you. I will no longer be angry. And in this, we are reminded of who he is, his love, his character, his provision, his pursuit, his holiness, his ultimate heart, which is to heal and to save. And here, as I, I read this, I'm reminded that his love is not fragile. His love is not fragile. It's vulnerable. It's persistent. It's relentless, but it is not fragile. And he wants us to flourish. He wants us to know him in the deepest of ways. 
And the promise continues, and we see it in verse 5. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars of Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade, under my protection. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green and all of your fruit comes from me. Church, for those of you that are versed and that love the Old Testament, you realize that this imagery is from the Song of Songs. Many of these examples are taken directly from the love story, from the intimacy of Song of Songs. You see some of this imagery as David cries out and his, his prayers are recorded in the Psalms. But understand that this is not legal language. These are not words or verdicts from an angry judge. These are words of a lover's pursuit. It's powerful. We also see here in these vows that we won't just be loved, but we will be fruitful and be protected and flourish and have purpose. And the other place that this draws us back to is the Garden of Eden, where things were as they were intended to be, where we walked hand in hand with Creator God in perfect communion. It's powerful. Revisit it this week and, and see the intimacy that He longs to have with us. And though here the marriage vows end in verse 8, the book of Hosea does not conclude. We have a final verse. Look at it as almost the advice of a marriage counselor helping a couple continue on. It says in Hosea 14.9, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in the path, sinners stumble and fall. Whether these are the words of Hosea himself or an addendum of the one that compiled his poetry, his prophetic words, does not matter. There is an invitation here. There is advice to reflect on the entirety of the book. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. Hosea, like all prophetic literature, is not a puzzle to be figured out. It's not a mystery to be solved. It is the revelation of God given to us to empower us, to help us learn, to understand his character, to walk in the proper way. But what is that proper way? Because if we're done with Hosea, and I still am kind of confused, the conversations that I've had with many of you throughout the week, you have, you have said over the past couple of weeks, Hosea is an interesting book. Thank you for tackling. It's one that I haven't fully understand, or it's one that I've avoided, or it's one that's confusing, or a lot of people have actually told me, I don't like the book. I get it. I've been asking myself, why is this such a difficult book for so many, including for many years for myself? And part of the reason I think it's a difficult book is because it rests in tension. It ends, and it's, it's more of a parable to live on a journey than a list of how to succeed. It leaves us in obscurity, and I don't like obscurity, rather than giving us step-by-step -step instructions on how to move forward, something tangible. It puts the choice back on us. It's an open-ended invitation. Again, 
We aren't corralled back. We aren't coerced back. We are loved back to the altar. It's not an enslaved return of the people of God. It's a wooing. There's a recognition of his goodness and a response to his love. So how do we respond? Who is wise and discerning to understand all of this? I don't know. Maybe you've missed it. But I think the purpose here of this book, let me break it down one last time. See, I think there's a difference between being wise and being smart. I think there's a difference between having wisdom and having intelligence. What separates the two? I believe it's intimacy. That relational knowing and experiencing, that yada that we have talked about. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is, wisdom is when you have that intelligence and you add to it that emotion, that deep intimacy of knowing who he is. Don't miss this. What separates wisdom from intelligence is intimacy. Even the unrighteous know the difference between right and wrong. And so the final invitation, the words of wisdom here, once again, are a calling to know God, to relationally, experientially know him intimately, to yada him. Church, in his pursuit, he wants more than our intelligence. He also wants our emotion. He wants more than our EQ, our IQ. He wants our EQ as well. He wants our intelligence, but he also wants our emotional quotient. He wants our, our ability to understand the emotions in ourselves and others and how that affects our relationship. He wants it all. The path to restoration and renewal, it's not tidy. It's not five Hail Marys and two Lord's Prayers. It isn't punishment. It's not a penance that we have to pay. It's a path. It's a relational path of intimacy and change. And because that's what it is, because it's not as tangible, it's a struggle. For many of us, the book of Hosea is difficult because we review, we, we view our relationship with God as transactional. But here's the good news. God isn't sending us bills asking us to settle our debts. He's inviting us to return. And the debt has been paid by his grace and by his blood. More than once, I have wandered into a florist to buy some flowers for my wife. And more than once, the person putting together the bouquet has asked me, what'd you do? (laughs) I think that florists are actually pretty good relationship counselors, just if any of you need, need help. And there have been times where I have to look at the florist and say, well, actually, yeah, yeah. And I'm buying these flowers in hopes that them added to my words, I'm sorry, will somehow carry a level of more weight. There's also times where I get to buy flowers and they ask me that question. I say, no, I'm buying them just because. It's not a birthday, an anniversary, or a holiday of any kind. I'm buying them just Because, you see, still in my marriage, but for sure early on, even when a a disagreement would, would hit or I would do something or say something and I would feel bad about it and there was a bit of distance that was there, I would often feel like I've been relegated to the doghouse. I'm being punished. 
And truly, this was not true. This was not something that was happening. But I would be in that place of there's some distance between us. And immediately, my goal is to get out of the doghouse. My goal is to figure out A, B, and C, the transactional things that I need to do to get back to where we were. The dishes, the meal, the perfect note, whatever it might be. But if I can do these, I will get out of the doghouse. And here's the problem. I was never in the doghouse, and the goal was not to get out of the doghouse. For my wife, the goal was to know her deeper, to be restored to intimacy. In church, it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. We're not in the doghouse. He simply wants a deeper and renewed intimacy with us, his bride. I have found that just my words are often not enough because relationships are complex. It's a sustained difference in my behavior. It's the posture that I come with, understanding that my actions and my words carried weight and affected the other person. It's emotional. My IQ of how to solve a problem and get out of it is not what's important. It's my EQ, my ability to understand the power of emotions. So we return to the question, how do we stay on the path with our God? Well, it's a journey. It's a conversation with him. It involves humility. It involves being in his presence. It involves us messing up and returning. We must know him. Not just know him. We must know him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, as Jesus commands in Matthew 22. As the commentator Dwayne Garrett looks at this final verse, he says, the key to the interpretation is not intelligence, but submission. And so we end where we began, two trips to the altar, the first one of repentance, an act of submission. As the psalmist tells us, the sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Church family may have become a regular rhythm in our lives, that repentance that first trip to the altar, because every time we do it, we're invited to return to the altar over and over for that follow-up trip, for the celebration, for the restoration, for the renewal of vows, to receive his promises in relationship. So church, as we conclude this series, would you remember, here in Hosea, we are not given a list of things to do but rather an invitation to new levels of intimacy, a new way of living, a way of understanding, a way of knowing in the yada sense of the word. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for us is that some, in some way, because we have opened up these ancient words, maybe you have caught a glimpse of the groom, of the God through the eyes of the prophet Hosea. And if we have done that, caught a glimpse of his heart, of his vulnerability, of his relentless pursuit, of his languages of love, of his desire. If we have caught just a glimpse, we are better off. And this ancient book has again served its purpose because his love is not fragile. It's vulnerable, it's persistent, and it's relentless. It's beautiful. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your pursuit. We thank you for your great love. 
we say, great is your faithfulness. Time and time, you take us back. It's relationship with us that you want. So, Lord, would you continue to meet us? For those of us that need to come to the altar for that first movement of repentance, Lord, may your spirit come and bring conviction. We bind condemnation and lies of the enemy, but we invite your conviction in Jesus' name. Draw us to you to confess. And for those of us that have already done that, Lord, may we receive these new renewed vows. May we believe them. May we see more of your character through it. Grow us to deeper levels of intimacy with you this morning. As we respond to you in worship, meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.